We've been fighting a long time, and we have all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Ave Welcome everybody back. Stay with Sus Fidel. I'm coming at you once again with Father Ripperger, who you pretty much already know, so we won't go through the particulars of, hey, Father, who are you? What do you do? So anyway, how are you, though? <laughs> I'm doing well. We're doing, we're doing very well. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. Oh, anytime. So we're going over this uh, Deliverance Prayers book, who pretty much many people have probably seen before. It's on Father's Census Traditionis site, and uh, you get it on Amazon. It has a bunch of prayers in there for all sorts of different ideas, Exilium Christiorum, and some chants. So wanted to go over, so what are in particular some of these prayers and a little bit about these, so just to get some confusion out of the way. So Father, if you would, take a look at this, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, Thank thanks, you. Steve. The power of the web right there with transfer. There you go. <laughs> when they say they have not mastered transportation, it's not true. I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> So, Father, you put this book together about a couple years ago, and mm -hmm. we've had some questions. I know I have some people come up to me, and uh, people come up to you asking about what what prayers should I use for this uh, for this particular life. What should I do for this? You you know the thing. How do you know yeah. what prayers to even use for your particular life? Well, I think a lot of it just depends on the particular kind of spiritual warfare that you're dealing with, um, just as it is, you know, in relationship to when we want to attain a specific um, benefit from a particular saint. Like if you want to sell your house, you uh, pray to St. Joseph. You don't bury his statue upside down. <laughs> you you actually pray, buy a statue. I'm all in favor of that. But then you actually pray to St. Joseph. So if you're looking for a specific kind of benefit, that's actually why you actually use different uh, different prayers in here. So, and when I put it together, um, I compiled it. Um, there, I, I had several books that other exorcists had given me when I was being trained, they just given to me. And so I was putting them all together and I finally just said, you know, this is taking too much time. So I actually made an initial, uh, scan them all in, put them in one, one thing, which I could use for myself. And then, um, eventually what I realized is that, um, there was kind of a niche out there that wasn't being fulfilled. Um, the book by Figpen on spiritual uh, warfare, I thought was really good, but it, and, and it does have some prayers um, in there, but I thought something a little bit more extensive. So there had been some stuff that had been put out that it was good, but I just didn't think it was extensive this. So I realized this is a niche that isn't being fulfilled. And I was getting regular requests from people about what prayer should I say for this and that. And now I can just say, buy this book and then say the prayer on such and such a page. And then, of course, they'll have other prayers in here that they can make use of as well. So in a sense, this is just like a compendium of all sorts of prayers you've compiled throughout different books and sources. That's right. Yeah, it came from uh, a number of different locations. Um, in fact, one of the things I should probably actually address, which was a question we were talking about before we started this segment, but is the, is the fact that, you know, some people said, well, some of these prayers have come from Protestants and actually... Um, virtually all of the prayers that I have here came from exorcists who had already been using them for some time. So most of these oh, prayers are actually good. pretty old. The only prayer that, uh, which we'll talk to and we'll talk about when we get there is the one on the Freemasonic curse, to break the Freemasonic curse. That was drafted by a Protestant, but it was based upon all of the different levels of Freemasonry. So um, I went through it and completely edited it and changed a number of different things in it and added a few things. So I basically took a prayer, Catholicized it, removed all of the Protestant catchy terms and that type of thing and actually addressed issues that weren't being addressed. So um, and that so any of the prayers that are in here have been thoroughly edited and vetted um, by me and by other exorcists as to their efficacy to make sure that they were efficacious in various ways. So speaking on that authority, can you say something else on the authority structure of these prayers? Yeah, I talk a little bit about it in the introduction, but basically it boils down to um, 
authority, uh, all authority comes from God, which we know from scripture. And so there are two avenues by which authority comes. The first is the divine positive law. So the authority structure within the church is that uh, structure of authority that God established the divine positive law, which is in revelation. So we know, for example, that he set up the apostles and their successors. Um, and then we know if there's a, an, a beginning of the unpacking of the orders in um, the fact that they start ordaining deacons and stuff. So you start to see that um, being unpacked. So there is, there's an authority structure on the side of the church and Christ said, all authority is given to me on heaven and earth, therefore go. And so he gives the apostles jurisdiction. So that passes through the um, divine positive law side. This is why priests, there's prayers that priests can do that lay people can't because priests can basically pray over anybody unless their bishop restricts them or restricts a specific kind of prayer. So they can actually pray over anybody because of the fact that our priesthood isn't confined to a particular individual, even though we serve at a particular location or a particular church, as they call it, that is a particular part of the church. The fact is, is that we, um, our priesthood is universal, so we can pray for anybody. But when it comes to lay people, the authority structure actually comes through the, the natural law, which um, basically means that if the natural law dictates that you have um, authority over the person or obligations and duties in relationship to a person, you can therefore, and this is what exorcists have known, you can therefore um, say the bind, do what's called imprecatory prayers, which is you can command the demons to leave. So uh, that basically comes in two places. One, primarily in the family. So the husband has right uh, uh, authority over the wife and the kids. So he can say commanding prayers in relationship to demons in relationship to them. The wife can do it in relationship to the, uh, to the children. She doesn't have authority over the husband, but she does, um, but she does actually have um, duties and obligations in relationship to the marital contract. Um, I always have to put this in. Everyone says, well, it's not a contract. It's a covenant. Okay. Look at, Look up in the old, look up in the old, old dictionaries, the definition of covenant. And what you'll find is it says a solemn contract. So it's still a contract. It's just a different kind. It's not a business contract like we have in the United States, but there are 17 different forms of contract, morally speaking. Um, and that's not to include the legal kinds. This is just, there's 17 different kinds. Marriage is one of those contracts, but that means that as a contract, it gives the wife rights over the husband's body and the husband rights over her body. So he, she can actually command the demons to leave because she has rights over his body. Okay. So even though she doesn't have authority over him, she does have rights in relationship to it. So um, the children, and this is something else that we know, and by the way, all this was parsed out. Um, by um, just observing one this uh, this authority structure, but then we were also paying close attention to who's getting attacked, who's getting retaliated against when they say these prayers in an imprecatory form. That is by commanding the demons to leave, rather than just petition form or the deprecatory form, where they just petition our Lord, our Lord and Our Lady to do something. And we noticed that it follows very closely this authority structure but then it also follows very closely those who have rights and those who do not. So if you have rights in relationship to somebody and you say the implicatory form, the demons have to observe those rights because they, they know that this is a natural law established by God. So they still have to observe it, even though a lot of times they try and attack it to some degree, but they have to observe that. And so when you do something with that's within your rights, they don't have the ability or the power to come back and attack you unless God permits it, which is extraordinarily rare. So if it, if it falls within those uh, confines, so just to parse it out, um, parents have it over their children, spouses have it over each other, either because the husband has authority over his wife or the wife has rights in relationship to the body. The husband also has rights in relationship to the body, so his is twofold. Um, the grandparents do not have the rights because they don't have the right and there's an easy way to kind of figure this out in relationship to authority. If I have the right to tell you to come mow my lawn, or I have the authority to tell you to mow my lawn, then you have to mow it if, if I have authority over it, but I don't have to. But so with your, if your parent, grandparents say, come mow my lawn, you're like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so it's one of those things, um, unless you're doing it out of charity or for some other motivation. Uh -huh. So that's, um, so the grandparents don't, godparents do not. Uh, I realize that in certain cultures, they have the kind of like this quasi right of command, but in point in fact, in the mind of the church, St. Thomas himself actually says that they have, that godparents have the right to counsel, not of command. And so they have the right to, so that means that godparents can't command in relationship to 
um, those who have, uh, that are their godchildren. Um, siblings do have the ability to command the demons in relationship to their other siblings, not because they have authority over them, but because of the fact that they have obligations in, uh, uh, under the fourth commandment. At least that's what we've observed also in observing the retaliation. And um, then people very often will ask the last one, unless you can think of some other category, Steve, I'm not covering, but another one they often ask, well, what about foster children? Uh, no, you don't actually have authority over the foster children. You just have um, the right to actually provide for them and to physically protect them to some degree, but you don't actually have authority of them until they're adopted. So once they're adopted, then um, that there's a recognition on the side of demons that the state had, does have a right under certain circumstances to convey to a couple rights over uh, children. And so they, they'll actually obey that. So once they're adopted, they can, but until then they can. So I would say some stranger comes up and does a prayer over you. That's a pretty bad idea, right? Yeah, it's a bad idea. When I was in Omaha as their exorcist, I would regularly have to clean up people who were usually involved in the charismatic renewal. I mean, I, I, I have, I'm pretty benign to the people in the charismatic renewal, even though I think their formation is flawed and I think that their theology is um, uh, Protestant and not Catholic in many ways, um, which you can see my forthcoming book at some point about that. I'm about five chapters out left to finish that book, but um, on charismatic graces and what they are, because it's, it's really misunderstood. But I, I used to have to clean them up regularly because people would come to me having imposed hands or tried to cast demons out. They were only lay people and they would end up getting taken to the woodshed. And so you'd have to clean them up. And um, in other places that I've talked to, there were places that were doing kind of charismatic things in relationship to how they were trying to heal people. And um, they, were, they said, we're getting all sorts of retaliation. So I'd go there and I would ask, okay, what are you doing? How are you doing this? And once we I told them stop doing these things, but continue doing these things or do or do these other things. Once they started doing that, they actually had greater success in their work in helping people to become healed, even though they weren't overstepping their bounds on the authority issue. So there's prayers like, for example, the long version of the St. Michael prayer, which looks incredibly good. Leo XIII put it together, but because of the authority structure, if a lay layman says it, that's not a good idea, right? Right. So there's actually, that's the prayer to St. Michael, there's actually four versions of it. The first is the longest form, which came out, I believe, in, uh, which, which is the one that Pi, uh, the Leo XIII promulgated. And in there, in uh, I think it was between uh, 1921 and 1928, I think, somewhere in there, the Vatican put out a redacted version of it. And the original version that Leo XIII put out is forbidden use by all Catholics. You'll actually see it on the internet. It says, well, uh, Leo XIII encouraged all Catholics to use this. That's true. But the subsequent legislation restricts the use of that prayer, the prayer against apostate angels is the technical uh, name for it. Um, it's chapter three in the Ritual Romanum of Title 12, but it's in there, it's um, it's restricted only to priests. That is the second version. So the original version, nobody can use. Um, and I think there's some reasons for that, but the second um, one is the one that you see commonly out there. And that's the one in which um, it says that this is restricted. It said um, a priest can use this with the permission of his ordinary. So permission is a little bit different from getting faculties, faculties, and even permission to the way the new code is written. But the, um, you have to have faculties for solemn exorcism, which is something that is only given to priests who are really exorcists. And then there's um, uh, permission that can be given for this, for chapter three, which is um, given to any priest can give it. So like here in the Archdiocese of Denver, the bishop has given all priests uh, permission to... Um, given um, priests uh, in the diocese to use it, which is very beneficial to us because when people first contact us, we'll very often send them to their pastor who can then can help them up. So that's the first two. That second one in um, a petitio was sent to Rome asking, does this rubric still obtain? Because when I was first an exorcist, I was told that any priest whatsoever can use chapter three without further permission. And there was some legitimate question about it because I, every time I'd look at that rubric, I'm like scratching. I'm like, I don't know of any time that the Vatican's changed that. So what happened is, is that a petition was sent 
And then um, they, the Rome wrote back and said that rubric was never changed. And so it's still in force. And so priests do actually have to have permission. And then they also said um, in a, a different document that that, that prayer the, um, of the apostate angels, chapter three of, of title 12 of the ritual of Romanum is forbidden use to the laity, period. They can't use it. And I know laity that have used it and they end up with this problem of um, retaliation. Very often they'll say, well, I've used it and I've never suffered any problem. And you'll ask them, well, what's your family life like? And then you'll find out that it's true. <clears throat> Excuse me, the demon may not have been able to get to that particular individual, but then there's all this collateral damage in their family. And so that's one of the um, the signs that they're biting off a bit more than can chew. Then in the Recalta, there's a longer prayer um, it's not longer than that, and then the second one, but it's a third kind of one, which is it's the St. Michael prayer, but it's even longer. And that one you can, anybody can use. And then there's the normal St. Michael prayer, which everybody prays St. Michael the Archangel to defend us in battle. That one is um, anybody can use. So those those are the, th the four. So sometimes people ask me, they'll say, what about the prayer to St. Michael? We have to be specific because some people have even said the third one you can't use when actually you can use it. There are some priests that say never engage with the devil. What what say you on this topic? Um, well, there is the line from St. Paul where he says, engage the ancient serpent and win the crown of glory. So he's already telling the people to whom he sent the letter, the epistle to, that they have to engage him at times. Now, I think the distinction has to be made. Obviously, you don't go around looking to, to get into fights with him. On the other hand, when he shows up, you know, you can't just ignore him and act like he's going to go away. Because some priests just say, oh, well, if you don't ignore him, if you just pray to God, things will think That's not how this works. And a lot of people who have tried that end up realizing it doesn't work. And so they get beat around a little bit. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, just, uh, uh, let me just put it to you this way. I know of no seminary, no seminary in the entire world. And I can say this by having taught in some of them, having seen some of them, having talked to numerous priests, all of them complain about the fact that the basics of spiritual warfare are not taught in the seminaries. So what priests will get is um, bits and pieces of information, and very often they're reading sources that are unreliable. Um, and so th what's happening is, is that there's just a general ignorance among the clergy. And so I don't blame the priests for thinking this, um, and they don't want people going around and doing things they're not supposed to do. On the other hand, um, if they attack you, then you have an obligation to, uh, you know, to to fight them, to combat them in, a, in ways that are proper. Obviously, if they're trying to test you with um, or uh, to tempt you with impurity, then you just got to get away from it. But there's other ways of disappropriation, which I talk about in one of my um, conferences, et cetera. There's different ways to deal with different kinds of diabolic influence or attacks. But I think to just to generally say you should just, you know, you just ignore them and act and never um, go on the offensive, I think is um, not just ill-advised, but it's contrary to what scripture itself says in St. Paul. Um, obviously, though, so you don't want to go around looking for it, but when it comes to your way or and the one last thing I would say is, is that, you know, when it comes to parents or to fathers, especially in relationship to the home, they should be saying prayers to St. Michael, mostly deprecatory prayers. They don't have to say binding prayers unless they're seeing something. So I tell people, well, look, if you see something, then address it. Because that's what St. Peter was going to say, be vigilant and watchful. So if you see something, deal with it. If you don't see something, just say your basic prayers, asking God to protect you and your family. And I think that's the one thing that, it, that has to be done is asking God to continue and Our Lady to protect your family and the various saints to protect your family. So those are things, positive things that I think people have to do. So I, I think it boils down to just a lack of uh, formation on the side of um, the priests that say that. Kind of like almost a lack of sacramental knowledge too. You, you st I started yeah. thinking about the holy water and excise salt and things like the other weapons you can use for this instead of uh, thinking you need to do a, a ritual for this. Yeah, that's right. And I, yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of times too, is that people just do their basic prayers. So like a lot of times people come to us we adopted um, a protocol, which is a four-stage protocol, which deals with before you can see me, because our basic attitude is like, I'm the brain surgeon. I'm not your GP. I'm not your pastor. So a lot of, you know, a vast majority of people's diabolic problems can be cleaned up on their own or with the help of their pastor. And it's only if he sees something that really needs to be addressed, 
um, you know, on a level that he, he can't, doesn't feel comfortable addressing, then you send it to me. And we found on that first level, we just find like, there's just some basic things that people can do at home that clears up a lot of their problems. And so um, that I think that in the long run, um, it's actually more beneficial to the, to the, um, to the lady to get, to equip them with the tools so they actually know what they can and cannot do, you know, the limits of what they should and shouldn't do, but then also, um, equip them with the tools and the sacramentals, as you say. And, you know, that's one of the beauties I love of the old um, ritual is that, you know, so, uh, you know, one of the things I'll often tell people is, you know, one of the ways you can keep demons out of your children is feed them exercise salt, you know, put it in the food, you know, and when it comes to protecting yourself, have your wine blessed, have your beer blessed. There's all these blessings in the old, right? Have your medicine blessed, all this stuff. There's all these different sacramentals, which doesn't even include the other ones, which everybody knows, like the Benedict's Medal, the Miraculous Medal, and the Scapular, and things of that sort, burning a candle in your home, et cetera. Um, one of the things we just discovered recently, very recently, in fact, um, is that with some people who the demons are attacking them in their dreams, or they're having really violent dreams and things of that sort, just burning an exercised and blessed candle while they sleep will a lot of times clear that out. So just having some basic knowledge of the sacramentals is very beneficial. And I think that, you know, other than unless they went to a, a traditional seminary, their odds of knowing that stuff is very slim. Many of the priests who are in the new rite who would have a desire to start learning more about the old rite complain they know nothing about the sacramentals, which is unfortunate. Yeah, because I have 4,000 videos I've actually listened to on the channel, <laughs> I kind of know some of this, but I got a five gallon drum of epiphany water that I. Right. Uh, we had the whole family drink a night. <laughs> yeah, we every every ever since I was a pastor, I always made large quantities of epiphany water. Uh, the other thing is, we always try and do is get lustral water, which is made on the um, on the uh, um, Easter vigil because that's even more efficacious. So, I, in fact, I can just kind of run down this real quick. There's actually five forms of holy water. There's the one blessed in the new rite, which is holy water, but it's not as efficacious as the rite that is done in the old rite, which actually includes. Exorcism of the salt, blessing, exorcism of the water and blessing, and then the mixture of the two together and ask for prayers, which is more efficacious because what we get, what we pray for is what we get. And that's actually one of the forms of disinformation that's kind of out there as they say, oh, well, they're both blessed. So they're both have the same efficacy. That's actually contrary to scripture because Christ actually said, knock and it will be open. Ask and you will receive. There's a direct correspondence between what you ask for and what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So if you don't ask for it, you're likely not to get it unless God steps in and intervenes, which is not always the case. Whereas if you ask for it, you're more likely to get it. And so what we ask for in our prayers is what we're going to get. So in the exorcism of the old rite of holy water, there's much more that we're asking for. And we're actually asking for it to drive away demons and to do various, uh, heal people, etc. So there's a number of things that we're asking for. The second one is uh, epiphany water, which is basically the old rite of exorcism on steroids because it's chanted and there's a little bit more to it. Uh, and then there's the lustral water, which is actually made at the feast of, uh, or the um, Easter vigil, which is before they make the um, baptismal water, you, you make a bunch of water, then you separate it out. And the lustral water is that stuff that's been blessed, um, but it hasn't um, been made into um, baptismal water. And then the last one is called Gregorian water, which if you can get your hands on it, I've got just a little bit of it, which I only use under certain circumstances, but it's actually the, the holy water that can only be made by a bishop and it's used for the consecration of altars. So if you can have that, that's the one we found to be the one that just blows them out, but it's hard to get a hold of and a lot of bishops are reluctant to give it to. So they might give it to someone like me who's doing this line of work, but they may not give it out generally. But those are the different kinds of holy water. So, you know, when you tell this to people, everyone just looks at you like the deer in the headlights. Well, how come I never heard any of this? Well, we all know it's because the church isn't teaching us anything these days. You know, they're more worried about making sure that you're woke than you are. Um, you know, and they're more concerned about, I hate to say this, they're more concerned about that you're getting your vaccination than they are knowing about the sacramentals. So there we are. Yeah, yeah. No, people laugh. Me, so here I'm comes sure someone's going to complain about that statement I just made. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, they go, here comes Cunningham with his five-gallon drum again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, speaking of weapons that you may have that for the lady, we got this book here, Deliverance Prayers for yeah. Use by the Lady. Right. Some of the prayers that we want to go over today or that you have questions, people come up and give you questions about. Yeah, I think that um, 
because a lot of times I get a lot of questions like, I don't even know how to use this book. I don't even know what the prayers are for. When should I use this prayer for that? Or what, you know, I have this problem, which prayer should I use? So we're going to cover some of them. We're not going to cover all of them because we'd be here for a few hours, <laughs> but there's just a few things that people can actually use. Um, you did mention, the, you know, some of the old sacramentals, if you can get uh, exercised oil from a priest, some priests will do it. Some dioceses don't even permit it. Um, the, because they, they, they consider the, um, that there's a confusion that can, uh, sometimes occurs when people say, oh, well, I'm getting this oil. It's the same oil that they use for, you know, for chrism or it's the, it's the uh, oil of the sick. And, you know, I, I, I can see that some people would become confused. What I don't see is why that can't be cleared up with five minutes of catechesis. All you have to do is say, no, this is for sacraments. This one's for sacrament. This is a sacramental. This one does this. This one does that. I mean, that's literally all that you have to, all that you have to do. I realize that a lot of chanceries put out this these statements because they're just trying to carte blanche deal with stuff and they don't want to get into that. But then again, I think we're back to the we just need more catechesis. Mm -hmm. But uh, but if you can get some exercised oil, that's really beneficial. So if you look at um, uh, this is the current the, the current version of this, which is page thirteen. Um, it says, uh, so it's the ceiling prayer of protection, um, you can, uh, so this the person seals himself with holy oil. So you just take a little bit of oil, make it, and then you say the prayer. We use this, we use a longer version of this during our solemn exorcisms. It's a longer version, which is only in the priest's one, but that one actually is very beneficial to just start your prayers out with. If you're going to start, you know, if you're going to do some spirit, do some prayers to try and keep demons at bay or address certain diabolic activities. Just saying this to keep yourself protected or anyone else that's praying with you protected. Um, then there's just kind of the prayer of commands, the Carmelite invocation. These are just different prayers that you can try. They have different um, efficacy. The breastplate of St. Patrick, which is on page 15. We use this regularly during our sessions. It is one of the most efficacious prayers we have found that caused even an enormous amount of pain. So. Uh, I tell people, obviously, you're not going to do this to drive the demons out so much, although you, it might have that effect, but just to provide some protection for you um, because of the nature of the prayer, it basically um, clothes you in the protection of God, etc. So that one we've found um, very beneficial, at least in session. Then there's a series of different kind of binding prayers. You can try these different prayers. I often tell people, We'll try different ones, see which one works. If you notice that one works and the other one doesn't, we'll then just keep using the one that works. The most, um, I should say a little bit about binding prayers. There's even some misinformation going out there and saying, well, you can't bind the demons, you can't do that. So binding is a Protestant thing. Well, in my forthcoming book, I show that binding is all over scripture. Binding of demons is all over scripture. It's actually all over the tradition of the church. It's in, even in several rituals of the church where you actually bind the demon or ask the demon to be bind or some saint binds them, et cetera. So the question about binding isn't whether it exists or not. And it's not a Protestant thing. It's a thoroughly Catholic thing. The real question is, is who can do it under what circumstances? So that's the, that's the real, um, the real issue there. So with the binding prayers, it's the same thing with invocatory prayers. If you can, if you have the authority over something or somebody, or you have rights in relationship to them or duties, then you can say an imprecatory prayer where you say, tell the demon, I bind you. Whereas if you don't, then you can just ask Christ, Christ or lady, bind this demon, etc. The most common one, which I learned right off the bat as an exorcist, but which became kind of the cornerstone, which I use even in sessions, is the uh, one on page 19. It's called the Latin binding prayer. It's actually, I just put Latin binding in prayer. I actually wrote the Latin part of it, but the English is the most common one that's used. So you don't have to do the one in Latin. Um, we can talk a little bit about the efficacy of Latin maybe a little bit later, but the prayers, um, that prayer, that that one is the most common one, which I tell people use. You can actually amplify it. So if you have devotion to other saints, so when you get to the apostles, Peter and Paul, you can say, you know, St. Joseph, um, St. Padre Pio, who's a big one. He's a real helper in our line of work, um, et cetera. So you can add the saints that you have devotion to. And then you can command the the person to, uh, to command the, de the demons to leave the particular person. If you don't have that, then you can just petition Christ or Our Lady. Um, you can say, you know, Jesus, I ask you to bind the spirit of, and then you name it. Um, so those are the things that you can actually do in the binding prayers. Binding prayers are really helpful. I recommend them a lot of times in relationship to people who are under forms of temptation, people whose children are being attacked or their wife or husband might be being attacked 
or even when you might perceive that there's um, even in your own temptations, you can say it for your own temptations. You can also use it when you just think that people's perceptions of you are being affected. Um, that's because demons can affect people's perceptions. Um, so you can use it for a variety of different uh, forms. But that doesn't work for everybody now. <laughs> no, that's correct. <laughs> that so might be you. <laughs> two reasons because people say, well, I'm saying this prayer. Why isn't it working? Well, there's what well, it's one of two reasons. Either your prayers are specific enough or you're not dealing with the demon, right? Yeah. Or um, there's nothing there. Because sometimes people are like, I'm saying this binding prayer, but my, my 10-year-old boy is acting up. So I'll just ask him a simple question. When was the last time you spanked your 10-year-old boy? Yeah. Well, I've never spanked him. I never spanked him. Well, there's why he's acting up. It has nothing to do with any demons, right? So, um, And then the other reason it can actually be is your prayer just isn't efficacious enough, right? So you just have to keep at it. Um, so there's different reasons why it may or may not work. There's other times when uh, it may not work because of the fact that in spiritual warfare, precision is everything. Mm -hmm. So the more precise your prayer is, the more likely it's going to work. So, for example, a lot of people who have problems with chastity, you'll tell them, start binding the demon of one of these three demons if you suffer from them, fear, depression, or despair. So if you suffer from one of those and you're suffering from temptations against chastity and you suffer from fear, just start binding the demon of fear and you'll notice that the chastity issues will clear up because they're like, well, I'm binding this demon of chastity. I can't seem to get any that's violating or that's encouraging me to violate my chastity. I said, well, that's because that's not his nature. What you need to do is ask our native sorrows, find out what's the nature of this thing, or if you know the structure of it, start binding his true nature, and then all that other stuff will clear out. So a lot of times it's a matter of um, precision. But a lot of times it's just that, you know, you're, you're, you're shooting at a target that isn't there sometimes. So you just have to be aware of that. Um, the longer form of binding prayer, we use this a lot in session, but you can do it for yourself, um, especially if you don't know the source of the problem or if you suspect there's some type of diabolic problem, but you're not sure of what the actual nature of the demon is. We call this carpet bombing. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell people during the, you know, when I'm first doing a diagnostic, look, I'm going to be binding um, a, a uh, I'm going to be saying a prayer that names an awful lot of stuff. And you're going to wonder, why am I saying this? Because I didn't. Why is Father Ripperger saying this thing? I never had a problem with arrogance or confusion or that. That's not what the issue is. The issue is you just, I, I tell him, you know, it's it's like that uh, that line from the, I can't remember which movie it is, but, you know, just shoot them all and let God sort them out. You just carpet bomb the whole area. And then if there's a demon that's affected, if it's doing that, that's one of these, it'll actually have an effect. Sometimes to this, on the back of a book, there's a list of, de of spirits, which we'll talk about in a little bit. I will add sections of that if I notice that the demons, there's, there's a ping in a particular area that there's a reaction that I'll go to the back part and start hitting all the different areas that are connected to that, which are listed in that list of sins, vices, and spirits. I'll list those too. So sometimes just going through those can be very beneficial. Um, the other thing is too, is sometimes we'll use this as a diagnostic because of the fact that um, the demons will react to specific things, and that gives us an indicator. Sometimes they don't react at all. Sometimes they hide, especially when you get to certain areas. Or later in the sessions, if you've been working with somebody for a while, they'll start reacting to something rather than other. Um, the next one is a binding prayer to blind the demons. So demons um, can actually be blinded. How does this work? Well, the nature of um, angelic knowledge is, is that every thing, single thing that is occurring in the universe materially is infusing their intellect as it happens. All they have to do in order to be able to know what's happening, like in our discussion or what's happening in the room next door, is just move their intellect to think of that particular room, and then boom, they immediately see what's going on there. Okay. But what that tells you is, is that God can actually, we see this even in session during when people are possessed and the demons manifested, we can ask God to block his will from being able to do certain things. And so blinding basically is a process by which you're asking God to block the demon's will from being able to focus on the thing that you're talking about or the information or knowledge that you don't want him to make use of. And so sometimes that can um, uh, be very uh, beneficial. Um, acts of rejection. Um, this can be done if someone's made a pact with the devil and things like that. But there's also renunciations. This is one of the things that's been promoted quite a bit in the last 30 years among people who are doing deliverance work. But it's also people like this one particular gentleman, I'll leave him a name, thinks that he's this genius because he came up with this renunciation idea. And I'm like, 
that has actually been in the rite of baptism for 2000 years. So it's one of those things that's been around where you renounce the devil, you renounce certain things that you're struggling with can also be uh, very beneficial and efficacious. Um, prayer for protection against curses, harm and accidents this is on 24 or prayers for breaking curses of the occult. One of the things I'll often tell people, this sounds so uncharitable. I don't know if we've talked about this before with you, Steve, or someone else, but it sounds so uncharitable. One of the things I'll actually do is I'll tell people, look, if you think you're being cursed, all you have to do is ask our Lord and just say, look, if I'm being cursed, if it's your holy will, send it back from whence it came. Now, it sounds uncharitable because the demon gets sent back. And we actually had a case of possession where one way I asked Christ to send this demon back from whence he came because the, he got in from a curse. He started pleading with me, no, 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 don't send me back. Because he later explained that if he gets sent back, the demon that's possessing the other person who sent him in here is going to get angry with him and beat him up. And I'm like, that's not my monkey to be worrying about. <laughs> so you're out of here. So, but this is something that can be very beneficial that you can just ask um, our Lord, if, if I'm being cursed, send it back from whence it came. Okay. Uh, breaking the cult ties. Um, a person can do that for himself. Um, prayer to remove generational spirits. This is on page 25. This needs a little bit of explanation and an addressing of a particular question that's been occurring somewhat regularly. People say, well, generational spirits is a Protestant idea and it has no place in Catholic theology. Again, we're right back to the problem of complete ignorance. In my book that I'm writing on diabolic influence, I actually have a chapter that's 80 pages long. It deals with authority structure. And one of the things I talk about there is how generational spirits can actually be passed on from generation to generation. Um, the structure of it, how it comes through the authority structure, how it's actually part of scripture, how it's actually in the tradition of the church. Um, and that there's, uh, and that the, basically it's the inversion of generational blessings. So like when people get married, there's actually a generational blessing where the blessing will pass to you so that you may see the blessings in your children to the third and fourth generation. So that it's an inversion of that process. Um, and so there's actually, and th this is something which exorcists have known. I know that some prominent exorcists, even a morph didn't buy their existence, but I have seen cases where people were actually I had two cases where the, the women were actually possessed by um, spirits that had passed and been passed on generationally. Um, so this is, uh, it, it's, it does actually exist. Very often people will see patterns within their family line or structure. So they'll notice that there's a, a, a history of say sexual abuse or physical abuse, or there's a history of fear where everybody in the generational line seems to have a problem with fear or pride or that type of thing. Now, some of this can be learned behavior. Some of it can just be um, people acting badly. Um, but sometimes it can actually be, and some people say, well, maybe it's genetic. Well, there can be a genetic disposition, but when people are consistently doing these things, it doesn't, once you start flooding the gene pool with other people through the process of the generational line, that should begin to dissipate, but a lot of times it doesn't. So this is an indicator that um, it could be something generational. So I'll often recommend, you know, say the prayers to break the generational spirit. Now, again, in spiritual warfare, precision is everything. So I often recommend, but before you say this prayer, what you need to do is you need to start saying a novena to Our Lady of Sorrows and ask her to reveal to you, which comes in the form of an ordinary grace. All of a sudden, you'll just see this is what the problem is in my family. It's not going to say, you know, Our Lady isn't going to talk to you, as you hear some people say, and it's not like you, uh, you know, God told me in prayer anytime everybody talks that way. I just, I'm sorry, as an exorcist, I, I ask him one of two questions, either just tune out or ask him, did you hear this audibly? Because that can be an indicator that you're possessed, right? So I'm like, don't be talking that way because it's theologically imprecise and it's just, uh, it's misleading. But I'll tell him, she'll give you an ordinary grace to see what's in your generational line. And then you can actually say this prayer and actually include the prayer in, uh, include that particular um, sin in the generational discussion of the generational line. And so a lot of people who say this um, prayer uh, will very often find it very beneficial. Parents can also say it for the sake of their children. Um, sometimes if it's a low level spirit, it'll get blown out just by what the parents do. Sometimes if there's a generational spirit in the family, especially if it's connected to a curse, very often you're gonna have to go to a priest in order to, uh, to address that. Um, cardinal occult spirits, Latin severing prayer. You can say that for yourself. You can also say that for somebody in your family, but that one um, is not used that often by lady, but it's still in there for that. Um, prayers against every evil. So there's all sorts of different kinds. Um, 
prayers against temptations, prayers to be freed from evil habits. So you just have to look at it. Um, prayer to overcome evil passions to become a saint. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is on page 35. This is commission of the care of body and soul. This one, we uh, we did this, we, I drafted this prayer based upon a recognition that um, we need to commend very often our, our body and soul to Our Lady and to our guardian angels and, and St. Michael in order to protect us while we sleep because that's one of the times we're the most vulnerable because we don't have volitional control of what's happening. In fact, we're very often um, completely unaware of what's happening. And so we need to com um, commend our body and soul to them. But you can also, parents can also do it for their own children, especially for children. We found this one to be really beneficial for using this for children who are young, like one and a half to three years of age who are suffering from nightmares, a lot of times doing this. Also, that's one of the things that we found beneficial is that for parents to, um, you know, bless their children with the exercise oil right before they go to bed. Um, and, you know, just say, you know, may God bless you and may our lady keep you and protect you and may your guardian angels so they can say that um, prayer. We found that one to be particularly beneficial for that. So if people are looking for um, protection for their children or from when they, when they pray, some people have also found this helpful for chastity issues um, and things of that sort. Um, the next prayer that I can recommend is on page 37. That's the prayer against retaliation. This prayer, um, we have found that if you're saying prayers and you're getting a little bit of blowback, even even if you have authority or um, if God, if you're petitioning God, and usually if you petition God, you're not going to get too much blowback. But saying this prayer against retaliation can uh, be very helpful not to suffer retaliation or if you are suffering from it, to be protected um, so that you don't get the uh, you don't get retaliated against. Um, we use this very often in our sessions um, to keep the demons at bay because a lot of times the demons will threaten and things of that sort. Um, the next one is the parameter prayer. Now there's two different versions of this. There's this one and then there's one you can say around your house. So the parameter prayer is to keep the, to create a parameter around yourself to keep yourself protected. And so a lot of times people will do this. You can also say this for your house so that, that there's a parameter protection for your house so that if you're Especially if you got bad neighbors, or if there's something you're questioning in your neighborhood, you can say that, um, which can be uh, very beneficial. Um, uh, prayer to reverse decisions. This is one in which you know there's two times where I use this the most, and that's if people have gotten involved in the occult and they've made packs or things like that. We'll use this to reverse that process. Um, the other time we'll use this is a lot of times people will make private vows that are very ill-advised and they didn't talk to their pastor or they didn't talk to a priest about it and so um, a lot of times the demons will inspire them to make vows they can't fulfill or that are just as i said ill-advised or just ill imprudent um and so a lot of times what we'll do is if, there, if, it's a, if it's a private vow it still has to be released either by your pastor or your bishop but then i'll also very often they'll um or another one that we use this for is when people say, I want to be a victim soul, you know, and I'll tell them, look, you got to reverse that decision. And then they just get whacked by demons. And I'm just like, well, that's just why. And the people that are that are true victim souls, the only time you should ever consider consenting to that is if it's already clear that God has set your life up as that. And that's not, that is so extraordinarily rare. And even then, that was something that you should be talking to a spiritual director about. So um, in all of the people that I've ever worked with or ever had a spiritual directees or anything, there's only two that I thought met that, uh, met that criteria. And, that, and they were people who had reached a very high level of ability to suffer extraordinary attacks. And so they're the only people that you could recommend. So I'll tell them, you've got to reverse that decision, right? Because you didn't, you didn't make it uh, understanding it properly. Um, we're just about getting to the end of this section. So per against oppression, this is the prayer, like if you're being attacked in your externals, that's in your health, your job, your finances, in your relationships, things of that sort, you can say this prayer. Um, it's very specific, so if you name the specific thing, that can be very beneficial. Um, in one of my other interviews or conferences, I made the observation that the next one, the prayer against oppression for those uh, for those who have consecrated their exterior goods, that's that one is, um, it's just a slightly modified version of that, but then the consecration one exterior goods, this is based 
on, this is on page 44, this is based upon the um, the total consecration, St. Louis Mead de Romford, but we removed the spiritual benefits, which you consecrate to Our Lady. We consider that should be done separately. And I, re I recommend everybody do that. Doing a total consecration to Our Lady is one of the primary ways to keep yourself protected. Um, and so that's one of the things I'd recommend. But this one takes the section, takes the consecration, but then it narrows it down to exterior goods. And so there's parts where you can, if you name the specific thing that the demons are attacking, we have found that this is even more efficacious than um, saying the prayer against oppression. So it, it tends to take a lot of that out. And so this is one of the um, principal prayers. You can also use that prayer to consecrate your children, your house, your things like that. You can consecrate all sorts of stuff, not just because you don't want them to be under attack, which is also part of it too. But um, if you have concerns, you know, you can consecrate them. If they're suffering, if they have some type of ill health, just consecrating them to that can be very, very beneficial. How um, many the next section for that? Sorry. Is that like an annual thing or? Um, yeah, you can do it annually, especially if you're just kind of doing it generically, or like oh, for houses and things of that sort. Um, if it's for your children, you can do it once a week. Um, the type of spiritual warf warfare that I have to deal with, I say it every single day because there's a number of different things that I try and keep covered. Mm -hmm. But that's more of a devotional thing on my side. Um, it's probably also a testimony to how weak my prayer is that I got to keep saying it. But, uh, but anyway, the, the point being is, is that um, I tend to say it every day. I'll sometimes recommend it to say every day for a while in order to get kind of on top of the oppression. Sometimes people, it's just a one-shot deal. So um, I had one gentleman who's um, all his clients, none of them were paying him. And it just shut his, almost shut his business down. So I said, well, here, say this prayer. He consecrated his, uh, the payments of his clients to him. And then he said, within a week, they all settled up. And this had gone on for almost two months. So this kind of gives you an indicator that demons can kind of um, get involved in that type of thing. So it just depends on what your devotional life is in relationship to that. Or if you, you notice that it's working, but you got to kind of keep doing it, then just keep doing it. Sometimes it is too, because it also gives me an opportunity to throw other things in there, like consecrate for, I'll consecrate people who are being attacked or struggling and things of that sort. So uh, the next section is... Uh, Prayers of devotion. These are just different forms of prayers that sometimes can um, uh, gain, get, grant the person some spiritual protection, but they're not specifically designed for spiritual warfare. So I'll very often recommend those um, just for people to do. Um, and those are those are ones that are included, which we've just found as exorcists that come up from time to time in sessions where the demons are particularly sensitive to them. Uh, the next section is on prayers for healing. Um, this is something which um, people need to work on. You can listen to my um, conference on or conferences or uh, sermons on healing and wounds and healing uh -huh. for this. These are different prayers that we recommend for people that sometimes people will be under diabolic attack because they're wounded. So the demons will pick on a particular area of the wound. Um, sometimes people are actually possessed in the area of their wound. So once that they heal, then they'll be liberated or sometimes you get the demon out of there and then they can heal. So sometimes people will find that they just can't seem to psychologically or emotionally heal in relationship to certain things that have happened in their lives. So we'll recommend start saying this and see if you know the various prayers, try the different ones. There's, um, you know, there's a few of them. These are the more common ones used by exorcists for people, but people can use them for themselves because a lot of times it'll help them heal. Um, you know, all of us are wounded to some degree or another. It's, it's all part of original sin, but it's also part of actual sins, either of our own or from what other people have done. And so it's important for people to um, pray for their healing. The fourth part is the Auxilium Christianorum, which um, is, um, this was started by two exorcists. The Auxilium Christianorum is a group that was started by two exorcists, and they did it for two reasons. One, or actually three. One is that they wanted the, the, the benefit of the prayers for people to pray for them, for the people that they were trying to liberate. Two, they had noticed that in families, people would just, the family would raise their children in a very orderly fashion, very virtuous fashion, provide them what they need to know about the Catholic faith, make sure they're getting the sacraments. And then just out of the blue, one of the kids will just go off the rails for no reason whatsoever. And so 
from time to time, we were noticing that that's connected to diabolic um, interference in the people's lives. Sometimes it's just people making bad choices too. But uh, sometimes it is actually that the demons are involved in the person's life. And so we started the Exhumed Christian Norm to provide prayers. So everybody who's saying the prayers are praying for the members and their family. So just by starting to say these prayers every day, you're plugging into, we think somewhere between 100 and 200,000 people are saying these prayers every day because it's literally worldwide at this stage. So this is one of the, and we always put all the people that are possessed, all the people that we're working with, we immediately put them on the Exhumed Christian Norm. We have found numerous people that this has helped them to clear up um, habitual sin in their lives. It's helped to clear up diabolic influence in their lives, oppression, all sorts of stuff. And so we really recommend, uh, we recommend that. Um, one of the things that people will um, often question is, it says in here that you should get ask your pastor before you do this. Um, a little bit of explanation. The reason we put that in there is because of the fact that um, people would, uh, um, start saying the prayers who are spiritually not in a position or place where they should be praying these prayers. And so they would suffer a great deal of attack. So that, in other words, they didn't have their spiritual lives in order. So they started saying this and they just kind of get beat around. So we tell them to stop praying. So it's, this is so that the people that are saying it are psychologically sound because if the pastor realizes this person is not there all psychologically, he's going to say, no, you shouldn't. Or if you're not in a position they need to. The, uh, the other um, reason we did this is um so it's to provide the protection for the families and then also to um um to provide so there was three reasons so to to help us for the people we're praying for provide protection for the families but then also to provide protection for the specific members so that everybody would have oh that's the third one so the uh, family but then we also started it because we noticed that a lot of exorcists were getting involved with charismatic groups who were doing things that were actually causing more damage. And so we just said, look, we need to start a group where people can pray for those in spiritual warfare and pray for their own protection. And so um, we have found that it has been um, extraordinarily beneficial to them. And so there's there's those different prayers. Usually people have no problem with that those prayers until they get to the litany of humility. And then they're like, oh, no, not that. You know, <laughs> that because one. It's so right? <laughs> And if you want if you want to do a spiritual diagnostic on yourself, just say that thing. That'll <laughs> let you know where you're at. And you made that one easy because uh, you got an app for that, and it's in yes. eight or nine different languages. Uh, I think the app is in eight eight languages. I think I'm open to correction there. Maybe they added the ninth. Um, then we have, we're up to fifteen languages, but we're probably not going to update the app for a little while. But when we do that, the app will be up to uh, fifteen languages. So, but we already on the website, we have 15. One of the things we're looking for is for um, people who are willing to translate the um, websites into those various languages. But that's a bit of a problem because people say, oh yeah, I'd be happy to do it, but they're not competent or, or you don't know if they, you know, you have to have someone else vet it to make sure it's done properly. But the ones that we would really like to try and get up off the ground is um, Spanish, Portuguese, and um, maybe there's might be a couple of other ones, but the Spanish and the Portuguese ones, because the this John uh, Christian Norm has really taken off in the Portuguese speaking um, nations, and obviously it's um, taking off quite a bit in the Spanish uh, community. So we're kind of hoping that that will um, will get those translated at a certain point. And then the last part of the book is, is on the appendices. So the first appendix is a list of uh, spirits, vices, and spirits. There's some things in here that people will say, I'm going to just say this right now so that it kind of clears up. People will say things like, well, it says in here, uh, martial arts. Are martial arts diabolic? Well, not in themselves. As an art, it's okay. It's only if you integrate the Eastern um, mysticism or religious aspects or forms of meditation that it becomes a problem. So that's where you have to watch for that. Um, another one, some of these people will say, like, what is that? Um, it's, you know, things like um, uh, uh, Marriott Puppet. They're not talking about playing with the Marriott Puppets. They're talking about people who have that sensation where they just feel like that. Mm -hmm. um, another one is, there's one in here that I actually had to look up. Yeah. I, I didn't even have any clue when I first read it, ran across it. It's Rainy Kathy and Shaney Kaylee. I mean, just pronouncing that is a tongue twister. <laughs> and this is the one that we're really struggling under in our culture right now. These are the spirits that actually destroy proper lines of demarcation in gender. 
Mm-hmm. So they, they tend to destroy our God-given maleness or femaleness. It's gender mutilation. It's also the one that promotes transgenderism, etc. It's the breaking down of the proper gender roles, etc. Um, but anyway, so this one has a number of different things. So if you see something that doesn't seem like it's necessarily a spirit, that's true. It's just a, it, it can be a disorder which the demons can drive. They can sometimes be natural disorders, but they're also uh, disorders that demons can themselves drive. Then there is the longer um, examination of conscience. I put this in here because sometimes it's helpful for people to have a good examination of conscience. A lot of times I'll tell people, look, if you're struggling with things, especially with diabolic obsession, maybe what you should need to, and it's not uh, scrupulosity, which I, um, uh, I'm about, I've got it recorded, it's ready to go. Um, I just have to upload it. So at some point I'll get that to you, see if it's on scrupulosity, what the structure of it is, the nature of it is, what you gotta do to overcome it. So if you don't suffer from scrupulosity, I'll often recommend if you're suffering from other forms of diabolic um, obsession to say, to make a general confession, because sometimes that'll root out the source of the problem and this could be used very well for that. Uh, And then the last one is the uh, prayers to break the Freemasonic curse. Just a a couple of observations about this. Um, First, general observations and then how to use it. The first is, is that um, a lot of people will say things like, oh, well, Freemasonry, they're just these really great guys. They're like the Shriners who drive around in the little go-karts during the parades. These Got are the great hats. guys. They've written that great hospital and la da 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 No. Freemasonry is a thoroughly Luciferian structure from the bottom to the top. And it is, and I can tell you this because I've had to clean up so many people who've either been involved in Freemasonry or what have you. Every level of Freemasonry to, uh, agrees to take even that a lot of people pretty say well i was a freemason i didn't agree to this well actually you did you just weren't paying attention to what you were agreeing to you didn't work you were reading the fine lines and the contract so to speak but basically they agree to take on a curse for each level that they go up and if they don't fulfill those levels of the of the requirements of those levels or if they reveal things because it's it is a secret society which is another name for a cult but it's a secret society and so if you violate that then you can be, um, then this curse comes upon you and people see this, there's all certain, sometimes people just start talking about the problems they have in their family and I can usually parse it out because there's very distinctive patterns that you'll see in, in relationship to what they have. That all being said, so that it is actually, some people say, well, this was written by a Protestant as I mentioned in the beginning of our interview. Yeah, that's true, but it's been thoroughly restructured, it's been thoroughly rewritten and so you don't have to worry about uh, any of that and it does actually work We've had numerous people that have suffered from the um, Freemasonic curse because their father or grandfather or somebody was involved with it. They'll start saying the prayers. And then we usually what we tell them, this is part of the how-do. If you think you have Freemasonry in your lineage or you're not certain of it, it's better to be safe than sorry. Just say the prayers. We normally recommend, there's two different ways that you can do it. My assistant says, you need to do it in front of a priest and you need to do it three times. And he's doing, he's saying that in order to try to cover the bases and make sure it's done properly, um, which is uh, necessary because a lot of people come for us to help can't even do some of the basic prayers because they just had, they've never been taught. But then this, what we usually, what I'll usually recommend is I'll just say, go in front of the blessed sacrament and start saying this prayer. And if you get to a part where you just get blocked and you can't seem to get through it, just struggle through it, get through you can and do it then go back the next day and do it again and keep doing it um, day after day until you get to where you can get through the whole thing. A lot of times if the Freemasonic curse is there, um, the uh, way that they'll notice that it's been broken is they can get through the whole prayer and there's not a problem or that they said the prayer and the external problems because oppression is one of the principal ways that you see this occurring. Not everybody has oppression has had Freemasonic in their lineage, but a lot of the people that, um, who do have it in their lineage will suffer from oppression. Those areas will start to clear up. Um, health issues. There's certain health issues like respiratory issues, things like that. They'll say these prayers, and all of a sudden these issues clear up. So um, this is that's why we um, put that in the book, um, and it's also good to be able to refer to that because a lot of times we get regular inquiries about how to break the Freemasonic curse, and so we just send them to there. So that's kind of an overview of it. Um, and I often tell people, if you're not certain, just try the prayers out. It's like Gamorth said. He said, doing an exorcism over, over demons never hurt anybody, right? <laughs> well, if you, as long as you're staying within your parameters um, and you're saying these prayers, you'll be safe. But, um, but also, sometimes you'll find some prayers will work. Sometimes I'll tell people, try this. and say, well, that didn't really work. 
And then they'll say, but I did try this and that seemed to work really good. I'm saying, well, just keep doing it. So, um, and so I'll recommend saying the various prayers. So the book has had, it's had a fair amount of distribution. I think that it's, um, it's kind of getting out there. I know I make a lot of priests nervous by this. A lot of priests complain to me about it because there's like, oh, you're creating work for me. No, what I'm doing is, is I'm bringing to the fore work that you need to be taken care of anyway. So there you are. Just a little bit on the Latin part, because I've had people come up to me and say, should I, do I need to pray it in Latin? And their pronunciation is terrible. Uh, could you speak on the efficaciousness of Latin? And is it, right. you mentioned it earlier in the 20 minute mark that you don't have to, but right. why, why is it the mindset of that just to help them be able to do it in English or whatever their native tongue is? Do it in Latin. Yeah, I think that it, it really boils down to two things. One is that, um, or two parts to, to your question. Uh, Latin is more efficacious. Yeah, I know I've heard even exorcists say, but does it make any difference? Well, like that's not my experience in the slightest. As an experienced exorcist, I can tell you that's true that once in a while you get demons who don't really react much to the English as opposed to Latin, but a lot of demons really detest the Latin because it's a sacred language. And a language, there's three sacred languages and they're sacred, not because they're in scripture, by the way, even though that is that can be one of the reasons, but that's not the primary reasons. The fathers of the church are very clear that a language is sacred because it is affixed to the instrument of our salvation, the cross. So that's Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. And so those languages, um, the demons find it, uh, those languages abhorrent. They even find the, the ecclesiastical pronunciation of Latin abhorrent. You know, when you hear people say, oh, well, you know, ancient uh, Latin is spoken this way because we've done this study and we know this is how it's spoken. Look at that was all devised by the Protestants. It's speculation. Um, people say, well, you can't tell me that the current pronunciation of Latin in the church is how it's spoken. I'm saying, I agree with you. It probably was spoken a little bit differently. We know that. That's not the issue. The issue is, is that that is the language of the church. This is how the church generally speaks it. And the demons themselves consider even the pronunciation sacred. They hate it. So whenever they, whenever you force a demon to say a prayer in Latin during the session, he always tries to do the, um, the, uh, the Protestant pronunciation or the classical pronunciation and not the ecclesiastical because they consider they, it's more painful for them to do the um, ecclesiastical. So I don't tolerate that. I'm telling them, no, you gotta use ecclesiastical pronunciation. So that tells you that there's an efficacy to it because it's sacred. It also adds an accidental um, merit to the prayer in which we say. Now, that being said, if you don't have a clue what you're saying, then you're probably better off doing it in uh, in English where you actually know what you're saying. But you know, you can memorize that, uh, memorize the, the shorter prayers and things like that. And generally, if you start using them for a while, you'll actually know what they, they mean. Um, the only time I tell somebody that, you should still do it in Latin, regardless of your pronunciation, how bad it is, and whether you know it or not, or actually priests or actually doing exorcism. I'd say, no, you should do it in Latin. Um, and it's uh, one exorcist had this demon said, you know, I can't even understand your Latin, you're pronouncing it so bad. And uh, he said, that's okay, God understands what I'm saying. <laughs> right? uh, and another one, actually, the, 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 the demon was complaining it is about his pronunciation. And he said, it doesn't matter how bad I'm pronouncing it. You know what I'm saying. So the, the, the point being is, is that, um, that people can actually learn. You can go on the internet. There's places on the internet that actually can give you, you know, short, um, uh, a short teaching on how to actually, um, or short training on how to actually pronounce Latin. And so you can do with a little bit of work, you can go on, uh, online and actually learn how to pronounce it. Um, I have a whole conference in on, or not conference, but it's a sermon on, you know, why prayers in Latin, why you should learn to do them in Latin. Um, but, uh, but, but so that being said, um, generally speaking, it'll have more efficacy, but until you can do the pronunciation and have a bit of a sense of what you're saying, I'd say do it in English. But then once you can make that transition. Does that just off topic, does that work for sacramentals as well? That same mindset, uh, if they don't know it, the Latin part for a blessing to say holy water, they do it in English. Um, yeah, it does, but I don't think that the, I don't think that the difference is it's, it's, oh, well, let me put you this way. If you're using it in relationship to spiritual warfare, certain demons are going to react more to it when it's done in, in Latin than it's done in English. 
I know a lot of priests who say, well, there's no difference and I'm still pretending to do this. There's a certain sense in which it's true that what they're intending and what they're saying is still going to come about, but there is an accidental decorum that's added. So when the demon looks at that sacramental, he, he sees the prayer that was said over it. As soon as he sees it, he knows everything about that sacramental. So he knows this one was done in Latin by this priest. And so that's one of the reasons why they find certain certain things really annoying. And so it does actually add to the efficacy in relationship to that. It also adds a certain, uh, an accidental efficacy. Again, not that, not that much of one, but it does add an accidental efficacy in relationship to our petition to our Lord for the same reasons that I talked about in relationship to um, the liturgy. You know, the certain, uh, what I call the pomp, but the things that surround the liturgy actually increase the merit in the eyes of God. And so people can read my article on that. Um, it's just called The Merit of a Mass, but they can read my article on that if they want to see that particular article. But it does, it does, that same argument, I think, does apply to sacramentals. Father, I appreciate your time. Anything else you want to add? I think that's it. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer the questions because there's a lot of people that have had questions about how to use this. And so this will give us something to point them in the direction to where they can go get the, um, get the information they need. I appreciate you. And uh, of course, can you get a final blessing before you go? Absolutely. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti, Super Vos, et Semper. Amen. Amen. God bless everybody. Thank you, Steve.